Welcome to Climate Emergency Manchester, or SEM for short. I'm Simon. I'm Lauren. I'm Grace, and I use she, her pronouns. This is our new podcast. Each month we'll get together to review our council's plans and policies to reach zero carbon by 2038. It's July now, but we're reviewing June scrutiny week, and that's thanks to Glastonbury and a lot of COVID since. Uh, we've not been able to get together until now. Lauren and Grace, we've got quite a bit to talk about for June Scrutiny Week. I've got on my list the work plans for Environmental Scrutiny Committee for the rest of the year. We've got June Scrutiny Committee and anything that you think stood out to you um, as worth talking about. So is it worth me going through some of the things that stood out to me on the work plan and if you've got anything, any questions or comments to make, jump right in. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good to me. Just firstly, to clarify, we're talking about the Environment and Climate Change Scrutiny Committee in particular, and also maybe the Economy Scrutiny Committee, if we have time to discuss that. So I'm aware that when we spoke last time, uh, it was May Scrutiny Week. We'd just begun a new municipal year. We didn't know what was on the work plan for scrutiny committee, for, for any scrutiny committee, but de definitely not for the environment and climate change scrutiny committee for the year. We do now have that. So it's been decided. They've got um, a list of agenda items and reports to go to scrutiny until March next year. And they've got several that are still to be scheduled. I wrote down a few sort of big ticket items that stood out to me. The biggest one, I think, possibly is the uh, the Framework 2.0, which is the, the Manchester Climate Change Agency and Partnership Framework 2.0. I should say, for anyone who doesn't really know what some of the terminology that we are talking about, we did record three explainer podcasts, so it is worth going back and looking at those. We talk about the agency, we talk about carbon budgets, um, and scrutiny in general. So if any of this is new to you, definitely go and check those out and then come back. We'll wait. They're only 10 minutes long. So. Three minutes long. Three each. minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes in total. Yeah. 10 minutes that will be very useful to you. For the very well spent. <laughs> yeah. So there's the framework. Now, now that is the framework 2.0, which is significant, right? The promise that we've had that this one, this is the, pl the, the plan by which Manchester City Council is going to get to zero carbon by 2038. Who remembers what was missing from framework 1.0? I think it was uh, SMART, S-M-A-R-T, if I'm correct. Any measurable targets. Yes, which is, what does SMART stand for again? Specific. Measurable, measurable, achievable, realistic, realistic, very good, and time bound, time bound or timely. Yeah. So all of those things were missing from framework 1.0. Um, so they're going to have another go um, and we get a draft report comes to scrutiny in July. And then the final re uh, report post feedback uh, and hopefully improvements will come to scrutiny in September. And then when we've got that, 
it's like this is it lads this is going to get us to <laughs> to our targets for 2038 but first hang on <laughs> just need to tie my shoe <laughs> and that's it really so after september we should be under no illusions about what we need to do to stay within um carbon budget when we need to do it by we can all rally behind it and just focus on getting there that's the that's the promise that we've been that's been made Hmm. should we take bets on the (laughs) on that thoughts i mean manchester city council hasn't really been transparent to date with how far off we are from achieving um the targets that it has set itself we asked for we have asked for a carbon budget uh to be sort of um visualized in a way that people residents of manchester can see how far off we are from achieving the targets um and for that to be prominent on the council's website um but they have said that would be a pr stunt so they are not willing to do that Ah, are we talking about the carbon clock? The carbon clock, that is exactly what I mean. Yes. Mm. I'm not 100% confident that this 2.0, framework 2.0 will get us there. But I guess we have to be optimistic. So that's coming soon. That's July, draft, and then final uh, report in September. The retrofit report coming in September is going to look at council-owned housing, and as well as proposals, I, I'm really interested to see what these are, for private rent and owner-occupier. And that's Manchester and Greater Manchester. So this is a really big deal because we've been missing anything on this for, for some time now, Absolutely, right? yeah. And my uh, worry with that is that it will just come with lots of caveats as to this is what we want to achieve but we don't we haven't identified the funding for this um you know it'll go back to that same issue of central government isn't providing us with the funding so what can we do mm. um and you would hope now we've got the framework we we talked about the framework uh, version 2.0 nothing should come to scrutiny that is not smart targets from now on right they've learned their lesson right is this the lead up to a but? <laughs> I mean, I agree. Ideally, yes. That is that is a reasonable expectation so. to have from yeah. now on. Yeah, I think so. We we live in hope. Mm-hmm. So really looking forward to that. Not least because I'm trying to retrofit my house and I would like some money, please. You can donate to Simon's <laughs> Just Giving. <laughs> yeah, we'll get a crowdfunder going. The really big news item that i think we can't emphasize this enough with with um listeners and and residents in manchester is the annual report for the climate change agency and partnership now there's lots of things that come from these two organizations this annual report coming in october will be the one that tells us the update on uh, annual emissions from the city Um, we have a carbon budget of um, 15 million tonnes of uh, carbon to last us uh, reducing down each year 
until to near zero in 2038. And then it stays there to the end of the century. So that's 15 million tons of carbon in our carbon budget for the whole of the 21st century. Sorry, was that 50 or 15? 15. Okay, five. 15 million tons of carbon. On clarification, this is for the city because there's often a lot of convenient blurring between what the council will agree to do or what their targets are and then what the city of Manchester's targets are. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is for the city, the whole city itself. Yeah, and if you've got any questions on this, three-minute explainer on carbon budgets will give you more information and is definitely worth a listen. So the the council's carbon budget, as they'll talk about it very positively, there's... Uh, their emissions are about 2% of the city's wider um, emissions. So much bigger deal. Council's doing quite well on theirs. City failing miserably. Last year, um, it was announced that we've burnt through around 40% of our carbon budget in just a few years. And instead of 13% year-on-year reductions, as a consequence, we needed to reduce by 16% year-on-year. If we haven't met 16% this year, where's that going to go up to? Um, so that's one to listen out to. That's really, really big news coming uh, this October. And we nearly, really need to step it up because that 16% could go to what? 18% year on year? 20% year on year? It gets harder and harder the longer we leave it. I think I need to get a new bike. <laughs> and then at what point will the council kick the can further down the road and say, actually, mm. we can't achieve the 2038 target. Let's push it to, to 2050, like the rest of the country. And then the things that really stood out to me were a few that have yet to be scheduled. One on electric vehicle charging, which seems like a a thing we really need to get our heads around. So... It relates to the clean air plan. It relates to the number of cars we want on the road. Um, Do we want to reduce car ownership? If that's an ambition, we need to really carefully think about where we're going to place our vehicle chargers. Are they going to be car clubs on every street corner? Or do we want to have charging in every middle-class home in Didsbury? I know that... um they are actually installing electric vehicle charging points at most um, petrol stations now. And I read a paper completely unrelated. Well, it's on, on China. They're trying to introduce more electric vehicles in China. And that is one of the biggest issues is the charging points. Because in a city, people don't even have you know a garden or a parking spot pot. And obviously in China, there's lots of high-rise buildings, lots of flats. Um, And that was one of the biggest issues um, from this takeaway paper was really hard to get charging points in cities, especially to people who live in high rise buildings, which is the opposite of the middle class people in Didsbury or wherever, um, as well as the fact of the cost of the batteries and everything about that. But yeah, charging points is definitely a really interesting and important topic, I think, on that. Yeah, and it does seem to be just a kind of straight swap for your petrol or diesel car Mm. to an electric vehicle not pushing for car clubs, for example, which would actually be much more useful to, I guess, people like myself, thinking about like the cost of living crisis. Mm. It's so expensive to own and run a car. Mm. Um, And I don't need to use a car. I live in a city, but I need it for, you know, now and again, doing longer journeys or going to pick up something. 
uh, from B&Q would be really useful to have a car club and every couple of months I google it you know um, electric car hire Manchester and there's still nothing there um, I mean like there's maybe one or two things that are popping up but it's like one car in mm. Chalton um, so the likelihood of that being available on a weekend when you need it is pretty slim and we guess we do really need to move away from that one household two cars or even one car mindset mm-hmm. um but i know we've had this issue with the council before in terms of not wanting to appear anti-car um when maybe actually that's just what we need to do is be more anti-car and i say this to someone with a car like it's going to take infrastructural change but um the council is exactly the people who need to bite the bullet and and introduce that infrastructural change with moving towards not just electric vehicles but less vehicles yeah yeah i mean and this links into the clean air plan which we'll talk about they don't necessarily need to be anti-car but maybe anti-car ownership Mm. private car ownership Mm. now that is going to be a rub for a lot of people i totally get that but there are ways to incentivize people so then it becomes a, a, a lot less of a a jump to go from having a car that you pay for doesn't necessarily move off your drive for 97% of the time. I've seen a, a, that, that being an average for the amount of time cars sit doing nothing. If you could see a car club over the road where there are cars that you're not paying to insure, you're not paying huge amounts for leasing them or anything like that, you're just paying for when you're driving them and they're over the road. And that's where it comes back to where are these electric vehicle charging points being laid out? And we really need to think that through well in advance. It's not just how many there are, how much it is, it's where are we strategically putting them so that in 10 years time when another Uber comes along and sets up a a private car club system, which I fully believe they will do at some point, all of the charging capacity is in the right place to, to facilitate that. So that's an interesting one. We've got the Manchester Airport and Aviation Emissions Report still to be scheduled, which is huge, bearing in mind that Manchester City Council own one third of Manchester Airport Group. Other Greater Manchester Councils own another third. So between us, we're majority shareholders of Manchester Airport Group. So it really is on us to get this sorted. And then the last one that is on the to, to be scheduled that I picked out is actually was mentioned in um, the Environment and Climate Change Scrutiny Committee in June. So it's a nice link into the meeting that we are here to chat about, as well as others. And that is the Clean Air Plan, which was due to be talked about in June in Environment and Climate Change Scrutiny, but got bumped to hopefully july anyone notice that yeah i had it down that apparently it's the next scrutiny committee the executive member for environment and transport and the deputy chief executive and city treasurer apparently they're supposed to be there and they will fess up as to why it was delayed um so i don't know if dog ate my homework still works well as an excuse but it will be interesting to to hear the the reason I've got, I don't know, maybe it's me being a bit pessimistic, but I've got a feeling that might, they will be there and they will be talking, but I've got a feeling they might not mention it's why because it was It's just going to be so bloody good. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Delayed gratification. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So for context, the clean air zone was shelved in January this year. It was due to launch in May this year. It was shelved, agreed at GM level, signed off by all of the individual Greater Manchester councils, including MCC. And it was shelved because the plans to charge commercial vehicles there was a there was a, a pushback. I know one of the pushbacks was from the agricultural community. The NFU wrote uh, an article uh, encouraging their members to write to their MPs about it. I think there was frustration from the agriculture community about yeah the fact that they have to use um, these vehicles, and it was when they were on the road, and there was frustration. I think as well that. Um, the rural community was being involved when it's a city problem, which isn't necessarily true because rural lifestyles tend to have higher carbon usage. But I know that was one of the particular groups that were pushing back is was the agricultural community. Um, and having I've only read the NFU article about it, but they even said that they one person, one spokesperson who was talking to the NFU about it even said that they don't think they need a clear air zone, etc. in the first place. So I think that says maybe a little bit about um, maybe the underlying ideologies of some of the pushback from the agricultural community yeah. about it. And I mean, I think the whole thing just got really toxic, to be honest. Um, having a look at the Rethink Facebook group, there's quite a lot of um, anti-vax, New World Order talk going on in there. So I think there's definitely been some bad faith actors. Which do you think is more toxic, the air quality <laughs> or that Facebook group? <laughs> I mean... Yes, I, I don't think it was properly thought through in terms of the small businesses that would have been impacted, charities and, and yeah. so on. Um, but also Andy Burnham just didn't really make the case for the clean air zone, didn't really talk about the levels of air pollution in Manchester. Mm. And, so, and then that kind of created a bit of a vacuum where people were making claims that, you know, or they're doing all these roadworks in Manchester to try and push up the air pollution so that they can justify bringing in these charges because they just want to make money. Um, yeah, and like I said, it all just got a bit a bit wild. So there was definitely, as you say, a toxic discussion going on. Um, within that, some very valid, valid concerns from small businesses yeah. that mm-hmm. didn't get even from early the agricultural community like it is a point that they will have extra costs and that is definitely worth talking about it but there was yeah it was definitely a us versus them anti-narrative rather than like let's talk about this together um and i, I don't know how much uh how many conversations and how much kind of research was done before the this plan was announced and all those signs went up across the road um before that got announced because it felt from what i've seen it felt like everyone was kind of like oh what i didn't know about this let's Mm. write to my mp very angry and anti the whole thing rather than someone coming beforehand and saying look we've got to do this this is the reason how can we piss you off the least whilst we do it because i think to some extent people are just going to be annoyed if it's getting inconvenience but um, and it was a it was a, a deliberate decision not to apply it to privately owned vehicles. Other cities have done that, Birmingham, for example, applying it to private owned vehicles, who perhaps could change their behavior, some of those journeys at least, a bit more easily than a business that has to just pay the charge in order to uh, survive and, and do business. 
the justification for that from the city, they did the consultation. This came to scrutiny in 2021. Uh, the consultation said, we think you should apply this to privately owned cars. That was a, one of the strong bits of feedback. And they said, we, we looked at that, but decided we wouldn't be able to realistically um, meet the directive from the Secretary of State in the, in the UK government, who said we needed to be within legal levels of air pollution as soon as possible, but no later than 2024. Now, we've just suspended that and negotiated with the, with the UK government, who have now given us until 2026. Does that change things? I'd like to see in a clean air plan justification why we still can't give a date when we would apply the clean air zone, whatever size it is, to privately owned cars. I guess this comes back to an earlier conversation about anti-car and maybe it's more that we need to be pro-public transport. Pro, I drive to work and I work um, an hour drive away. I would love to get the train. I genuinely would because I nearly fall asleep whilst driving and I can get work done on the train, but there isn't a train available. Um, no. and it, well, there is, but it takes me two hours, 20 minutes. There are still so many areas of Greater Manchester which are so poorly serviced yeah. by public transport that it, it just isn't feasible. I mean, I think we've all experienced this recently, haven't we, with the train strikes and mm-hmm. the trams recently have been... There's doing stuff to the trams and... Um, Buses are only getting more expensive. I don't know about yeah. anyone else. And but... the tram is eye-wateringly expensive. Like a day ticket in the morning for me, and I only live in like Didsbury, £6.10. It's crazy. And then if you've got to get a bus as well, I mean, obviously there's a new franchising that's going to hopefully, if it um, passes the legal challenge, come in in 2023. It's just, it's, it's just not feasible for a lot of people. So I have... A proposal. It's more the if I were king, this is what I would do. Um, bearing in mind now we've got these ANPR cameras, these license license plate uh, recognition cameras. It could begin a process of of engagement with everyone and be a really big communications tool and learning experience for the council. So you're driving around in your non-compliant car, whether that be the way they currently classify non-compliant vehicles, or actually it could be any privately owned vehicle, anything that's not one of the car club license plates. And that triggers an email with surveys attached. And so we're asking, okay, on this journey, could you have done it by active travel? Yes, no. Could you have done it by public transport? Yes, no. Could you have done it by EV car club? Yes, no. And if the answer is no to any of those, you're asked why. What change would you need to see in order to be able to make this a possibility? Is it cycle confidence cycling? Is it routes, off-road, safe cycling routes? Is it bus routes? You get re- you generate a huge amount of information that the council could then use to build into their, their plans in future. I'd love, in a way, like, as someone who has a car, um, it feels maybe a a little bit, um, what's the word, surveillance state, but to be told how much a year, if someone sees how much I use my car, that I am using emissions-wise or something, I think it doesn't mean you necessarily have to do anything, but it would be, uh, with that technology, um, really interesting Mm. to do that. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, some of it's got to be carrot and some of it's got to be stick. There are absolutely too many journeys that people take in Greater Manchester in the car where they could have walked it or cycled it. But they're just comfortable with driving and that's Mm. what they want to do. That's what they're used to. And without a significant um, incentive, they're not going to change their behaviour. Change is scary. We get that. Not... This is, this is something that we need to approach together. We need a, a system to wrap around this whole story, to engage people, to let them know what their options are. And if they still need to use that car, and let's be clear, some people will still need to, um, that's when we start to have the conversation around, well, did you know that there's, there's this, hopefully, funding available to help you transition to the most sustainable version of a privately owned car that you can possibly have but there's got to be a system to help get people out of their cars rather than us just say we don't like cars we are anti-car something to help actually move people across i'm working on teaching my dog to ride a bike which will massively reduce my car use how's that working out badly actually yeah because he's a dog yeah my pet dogs, spider's doing really i mean well. dogs do really love being in bikes like riding on bikes you know you get yeah. a little uh crate for him yeah that's on the true. front he yeah. will he will love, love it, it. Yeah, yeah that's true yeah there you go everyone get your dogs cycling <laughs> wait wear, wear helmets though yeah, yeah so we we've moved into um scrutiny committee so the clean air plan wasn't on the agenda for june It will be in a draft form in July. Then a final report proposal will be confirmed in September and returned to scrutiny then. That presumably will need to be signed off by all of the GM councils by that point. Or it will happen immediately after. Um, So not a lot of time, actually, to... If if the proposal that that comes to scrutiny and to all of the other GM councils isn't quite up to par not a lot of time to make changes which is quite similar to how they rolled it out last time no but i think if i'm if i'm remembering correctly that they the um committee members were assured that they would see the they'd see the plan before the next scrutiny committee so they will have had sight of it already and some time to kind of digest and assess we live in hope. Mm-hmm. I think I'm saying that quite a lot. <laughs> Take a shot every time. <laughs> you don't feel hopeful. <laughs> We're going to get a bingo uh, sheet created for these podcasts. So um, Environment and Climate Change Scrutiny Committee in June looked at two main items. It was the CCAP, the Climate Change Action Plan for the year. And that's looking at the council's own actions and the carbon reduction procurement progress report Mm -hmm. i will use this time to say as someone who i don't think i'm that dumb i found this whole meeting very confusing i had to do a load of googling um i have a degree and a master's degree in politics so i don't not in local politics but i think this was mentioned by one of the councillors as well but like there was a it was a lot of jargon um a lot of quite confusing named things yeah um i i did a lot of 
side googling whilst watching it and i still and you certainly weren't the only one yeah and i that's one of the reasons i'm mentioning it is i don't think it's it can be really off-putting to try and get involved in local politics there was some googling happening by the committee members during the meeting yeah <laughs> which i mean i i just found the whole meeting really and i no shame about this to be honest because like I can tell the time and touch my toes, so I'm not that I'm not completely brain dead. And I just was like, how on earth is any is anyone supposed to get involved in this and hold their council accountable if like if I don't get what's going on? Um, so that was that's my one kind of uh, one thing I want to say about the whole meeting would be that I just was <laughs> so confused. Yeah, um, I have a very basic working knowledge of procurement. Which really was helpful. There's no need to brag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to Google what procurement so meant. So I understood about waiting and uh, as as in uh, W-E-I-G-H-T. Right. Not not just... Not have, queuing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did I even spell that correctly? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was very clear in the meeting that a lot of the members weren't entirely clued up on what was going on which is a real problem because if they don't understand what they are actually scrutinizing how can they scrutinize it so we'll come to procurement um in a moment what you picked up on there both of you around plain english so um it was councillor doswell um from fallowfield representing fallowfield who talked about plain english um, mirrored exactly your your point, Grace. Around, if I can't can't understand this easily, how can my constituents be expected to? I really respected her for saying that. Like, um, I thought that was a really good point. And it was Councillor Lyons of Piccadilly uh, Ward talked about smart actions from this mm-hmm. action plan, which strangely is weirdly familiar with everything we've talked about so far, and. It's easy to listen to these scrutiny committees and think it's out of reach. I can't quite understand it. Mm. And that that's something wrong with you. Mm. You're not prepared enough. You haven't read enough. You just need to attend a few more of these and spend a few more hours of your life watching council committee meetings and you'll slowly start to understand all this, how all this works. And every time they get a bit of feedback saying, you haven't put any smart targets in or there's acronyms that no one can understand or I don't understand why this report is here. They'll say, oh, sorry, yeah. Um, we'll bear that in mind next time in six months when we report again or a year when we report again. What I've found with the reports is that they just try to put as much content in there as possible to make it look like, look at all this work that we have done. Let's mm. just try and shove every last bit of information into here and just sort of overwhelm you with information to just make it look like they're doing something. But when you really drill down into it, like you said, there's no smart targets in there. There's no objective setting. There's no measuring of targets that have previously been set it's just it's just word salad ah but according to the officer who responded to this there are smart targets this climate change action plan is actually a five-year plan and when that was brought to scrutiny committee a year ago they were asked to come back next year and say give us the 
um, more information about the actions that you're going to be doing this year. So break that five year down in, into manageable chunks and come and let us know what can we expect over the next year. All of those smart targets we understand are in the five year plan, but they didn't think when they were taking all of the stuff that they were going to deliver to also bring the deadlines that they were going to deliver them by. Mm. And the, there was a lot of confusion caused by that because the the committee members were just like, what is this? Why are we looking at this? Mm. Um, and then that had to be explained. Oh, we're showing you this because you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> and they look nonplussed. Now these officers are intelligent, professional, don't doubt their their ability in any way so you can only start to wonder is this intentional yeah i was just thinking about that in terms of like how can you hold accountable what you don't understand um so yeah and if i were delivering reports about my work area to a scrutiny committee that maybe then is going to get talked about on a podcast and blog posts from a rather annoying little climate activist group a bunch of sad as. I might give the minimum possible to get by yeah and then I take away an action to be a, to do a little bit better next time to be a bit clearer next time to have some smart targets and you know a year goes by and I'll come back and it won't quite be good enough again and I'll take the action away and I'll tweak it again next time and there's a rotation of the committee members as well so all of that knowledge is as lost i guess i don't know when they swap over do they have a handover meeting of this is what happened to all of the previous mm. scrutiny committees these are the things to look out for i don't know if they get briefed at all before i joked in the last scrutiny podcast that june would be full of summer scandal now this is tedious scandal perhaps but it is, it is scandalous that it, it's not a yearly basis. Every single scrutiny committee, depending on who is presenting to them, the councillors are saying these reports aren't good enough. They're not detailed enough or they're not smart enough. And, we, and every time this goes by, it doesn't seem to change. It, it, it seems on the face of it when you watch it, oh, actually, they are being grilled quite intensely on some of these things you know where are the smart targets what's happening on glyphosate um we're just hearing the same things uh, over and over again but it never actually changes anything yeah so if you listen to one you'd think there everyone's doing the, a great job and you'd walk away confident in thinking we're going to get zero carbon by 2038 i should try that just listening to one and then walking away <laughs> Make me feel a lot better. Yeah, let's all do that. I would recommend it because otherwise you just get sucked in and then you start like Ooh, doing podcasts on it's, it. <laughs> it's the full council meeting this afternoon. Maybe I'll watch that. So should we cut it there? Go to the pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other elements that I picked up on, um, we could touch on. Uh, glyphosate use, Councillor Hughes and Councillor Wright talked about it. Councillor Hughes asking why have we not banned it? It's been massively reduced in use. And this um, is a chemical used in weed control on pave pavements, etc. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. and 
in parks but massively reduced in parks there's only certain really invasive weeds that it's still used for because it has been found to be dangerous to animal and plant life and all life really it'll make you start watching council meetings if you uh, <laughs> inhale it for long enough and currently there's a system in manchester city whereby you can um request for your street to be removed from glyphosate treatment uh, but that is on a street by street basis and relies upon residents applying for it and then you have to do your own weeding on your street i believe if you opt out i don't think i knew that yeah. <laughs> you, you're welcome to opt out but then you are responsible for removing the weeds yourself some some parts of you know sort of street trees and grass would be better left to its own devices yeah. anyway it's just for kind of quote-unquote tidiness um but there was like the no no mo may um yeah campaign yeah. trying to encourage people to leave their gardens and verges unmowed um to kind of help nature recover um i don't need an excuse and then as soon as may was over get the mowers out just get rid of it all so councillor wright commented on the justification why uh, glyphosate is still used in certain circumstances the reasons have been quite different each time yes she did get a bit shirty over this she said um the story keeps changing and we, she wanted to know uh, what have we said over past uh, scrutiny committees and what are we doing and we need to just get a plan in place very quickly to just phase it out, get rid of it. Um, what's the hold up? Yeah. So we can expect a report in about 12 months time or more on why we still haven't phased out glyphosate. Well, hopefully if, if things get hot enough, the weeds won't grow. So I think maybe this is all <laughs> a plan. Um, if we do nothing, the uh, the emissions from the planes and the heat <laughs> will kill all the plants. And while we're talking about heat and scandal, the other thing I was thinking about was the question from Councillor Nunny, who is a Green Councillor for Woodhouse Park in Withenshaw, quite near me. And he was looking through at the end of the report there's an actions tracker the particular uh, action that councillor nunny um focused on was about the community assembly the manchester climate change community assembly now that was a a, a project that happened over two months in august and september 2021 and two people in the room right now actually attended and were part of this community assembly. And that's how we met. Oh. That is how we met. Now, the particular action was, could, we, could you tell me what's happened as a result of the community assembly? So we met for, I think, six, seven weeks in a row, and we would get a, different, uh, a few different experts coming to talk to us about transport about energy fashion it was a feral commitment it was three hours a week on like a thursday night i think it was for seven weeks um like you said we had presentations from various people on different topics and then we were asked kind of 
to put together plans for our areas. So they were kind of split up, I, I guess, um, not quite arbitrarily, but wherever people were, they kind of grouped us together. And Simon and I were in Withenshaw and South group. Um, and it was, you know, what do you think about all these topics? What would you like to see in your neighbourhood? Um, how can we, you know, affect change? And then we all kind of came together in the final two weeks to put together a mandate uh, that was to go to the council to say, this is what we want. Um, can How can you help us to get there? And then after that, it just went silent and nothing happened. How much did you get paid to do their job for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think um, Councillor Nunny um, was worried that it would look like a, a PR stunt again. Um, At least it wasn't a carbon clock, that's all I have to no, say. That would be the worst PR stunt. That it was, you know, community engagement as like a tick box exercise, which looking back on it now kind of feels like it was, which is really sad. I mean, I... Obviously, it brought me to you, Simon, and to Sam, which has been fantastic. And there was just so much energy, and it, it, it all, I don't, it just feels like it might have just been for nothing. I mean, we have kind of kept in touch, the Withenshaw and South group, and there's loads of different projects that are happening, which is really brilliant. Um, but in terms of like engagement with the council, you know, getting them to sort of help us to put these plans in place. It's just nothing. And absolutely no disrespect to the um, facilitators of the workshop. They were brilliant, you know, really engaged, really passionate. Um, it was just a then, a then what? Mm. In a way, it's backfired on them because here you are in an activism group podcast meeting. So, <laughs> and, and we're not going to let this go because we, at the end of that, put together a mandate couple of sides of A4 covering all of those different subject areas saying these are a whole bunch of ideas on what the council could do to enact change on all of these subjects. Mm -hmm. The question from Rob Robert Nunny, Councillor Nunny, was what has been the outcome of this community assembly? And this is what I think, I promised you scandal, and I, I do think this is a scandal. It's a low level, you would blink and miss it. But the officer just said, huh, well, we caught up with the organisers of the uh, uh, community assembly a couple of weeks ago. We'll get another meeting in to see what the next steps are for them. Totally nonchalantly, we'll get in touch with them to find out what the next steps are. Because it's our job, having gone through all of that and created that mandate and given it to the council, presented it to Carol Cully, the treasurer on the exec for the council presented to her on the final session in Manchester City Centre and nearly a year later she's in the room for this scrutiny committee meeting and did she say a word? I'm, I'm furious about this because it's just been battered away now it might be that he just the officer in question did, just didn't know enough about it but it sounds like he's had meetings with the organisers. I, I feel like I, I wasted eight weeks of my life. But the organisers who? I mean, I've seen one of the organisers on several occasions and he's not given me any update as to, you know, oh, I spoke with the council. 
he's moved on to other projects, which is, you know, he's well entitled to do. And to the south coast of the country. Yeah. I mean, hi, Bob. Um, (laughs) It just seems crazy to, you know, get this room full of really engaged, really passionate residents who want to make a difference and to just throw it all away. Well... You wanted engagement? Now you've got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like a dog with a bone in this one. Um, We will come back to this in, I think, maybe in the autumn when it's been a year since the mandate. And we will review with what what smart uh, achievements have, have, have come as a result. Because otherwise that will have been the biggest PR stunt that just completely backfired. That's it from me on the Climate Change Action Plan. I've got no more notes. Is there anything else you wanted to raise? Should we talk about procurement? Yeah, let's get into it. What I will say as well is I read Carbon Reduction Procurement Progress and then went, I don't know what procurement means. So I did a little bit of, I'm going to dumb it down for all the normal people out there, that what this was about. So from my understanding, and, and Lauren, with your procurement expertise can correct me if I get any of this wrong was that the council wants to reduce emissions by focusing on the goods services and work contracts that the council obtains and they've recently decided to make basically climate change and the environment more important when they consider who to invite to bid to work for them is that roughly yeah and they've obviously there's more niches that they've done it with a scoring system they've added 10 percent on but that was my understanding having googled <laughs> what yeah. does procurement mean tenders was a word in there that i had mm. to had to google um there was a lot of business jargon in there yeah so procurement is basically goods and services that are delivered by quote unquote the council so for example your bins um if you live in manchester that's Biffer, or if you live in Trafford, it's Amy. Which we clarified earlier is not a person. Not just that. <laughs> it's a group. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, go Amy! Poor Amy getting up at 2am and doing all the bins. Um, so people will just see that as like, the council's, you know, it's a service, they come and do it. But it's actually a private company who have bid for that contract. Manchester City Council manage that contract, so they make sure that it's being delivered um, in the way that the company has said that they would deliver it. Um, and so when they put in a bid, there's like a big scoring sheet. So they are asked to answer a bunch of questions on how different aspects of the contract and how they will deliver it. And each of those sections will be weighted. Um, so they've added 10% weighting for climate um, carbon emissions. And that, but it's it's quite unclear as to how much that 10% sways the overall decision. Mm. So they already had 20% in there on social value yeah. and the environment. So I don't I, I don't know if this is an extra 10% so it's now 30% or if that 10% has been absorbed within the 20%. So 20% has now become 10% and somehow it's become a spin to be a good thing. Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. But. I don't know. Um, but... Again, it was also clear in the meeting that not everybody understood what procurement is or how it works either. In terms of the councillors around the in the yes. scrutiny, scrutiny committee. Yes. It, I got the impression that um, with the 20% social value uh, weighting and the 10% um, 
um, environmental weighting. There's a lot of good work going on there in terms of reading, reaching out to businesses who are contracting to provide a service or, or, or goods to the council, you know, going out to them saying, what are you doing to reduce emissions, to um, improve biodiversity or whatever the relevant um, changes that they should be doing. So it gives the council a better idea of what their suppliers are doing. Yeah, once I understood it, I was like, okay, in, in theory, adding the importance to this topic when deciding who to work with, that's a good thing in theory, yeah. One of the other things as well was what good is, what does, this was something we were talking about, yeah. is that what does good carbon yeah. levels look like? Because if you, if you don't know when, the person doesn't know who's deciding the contract. Yeah, so when all of these bids are coming in and they're being scored by the officers, what knowledge do the officers have of what a good carbon reduction plan looks like? you would expect someone who is making these decisions as to who gets to run these multi-million pound contracts to have beyond the basic understanding of carbon literacy you would expect them to be to have quite specialist knowledge in order to make those decisions but we don't know if they do yeah there was quite uh, an important question raised around procurement as to even if we give contracts to businesses that say, yes, we're going to you know, operate completely carbon neutral or whatever, big companies have big bid writing teams um, and they will, not necessarily lie, but they will you know, perhaps stretch the truth or put in really, really big claims yeah. in their bids in order to win the contract. Because their job is to win the contract, not exactly. deliver the contract. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and how are those organisations being held to account? And what happens if they they don't meet, um, you know, what, what, they've they said, promised. what they've promised? So what do we think? Is that it for scrutiny this month? Um, did we maybe just want to talk about the housing strategy from the Economy Scrutiny Committee? Um, because I think a lot there was some really pro- problematic language used. So this, this is the uh, housing strategy in the Economy Scrutiny Committee. That's correct. Yeah. So firstly, just to point out that zero carbon and retrofit was last on the list um, in the strategy. And this is a direct quote. If we act on the ambitions set out in this chapter at PACE, then we will be able to combat and avoid the worst effects of climate change. All all of them? (laughs) Really? And that kind of suggests that if we are to keep on track, to keep on track suggests that we are currently on track, which we are not. Um, And like I said, sort of at, at the top of this, the the housing strategy felt a bit more like a wish list of things rather than something that's actually achievable um yeah it it just it was a lot of greenwashing sheesh yeah yeah that is difficult isn't it mm-hmm. and there's not so is this about the retrofitting private yeah and owner occupied and private renting yeah so it was a lot of um we need to do this this and this to achieve but there were so many caveats that 
it was like, well, okay, well, how are we going to possibly achieve this? We don't have the funding. There isn't the funding from central government. There doesn't seem to be a strategy in place to lobby the government for funding or other strategies to find different pots of money. It was just, we want to do this, but we don't have the money. So, so we've covered quite a bit there tonight. We've looked at retrofit, wish lists for the year, carbon budgets, framework, procurement. Furious about that community assembly being completely washed over. That might be in the sexiest lists of words, procurement, <laughs> retrofit, that I've heard in a while. <laughs> so I promised scandal. Do you think we delivered even a, a bit of scandal? I think definitely about that climate assemblies. Uh, was that what it's called, climate assemblies? Yeah, that the definitely. Cli the climate assembly has the makings of a scandal. Okay. So listeners can tune in next month and the months after, and that scandal will just bubble away and grow unless any councillors or exec members are listening to this podcast you've got about two months to do something about it and then we'll just shower you in praise yeah. come september i mean reach out to us i'm sure they've got everybody's contact details <laughs> people are still passionate about this they want to get engaged help us help us to help you if you've mislaid the mandate that we gave you i've got it on my computer i can email it again just 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 get in touch okay lauren grace thank you so much thank you for having us do you think you'll do this again yeah next week in july scrutiny committee <laughs> <laughs> great i'll see you there and that's where i kick in the music -da -da -da. what music could you have I can, mm. I can write us a little riff. A little tune? Yeah. If it sounds a bit crap, I think that will really add to the it whole... It could just be like... <laughs> like the council. <laughs> yeah, have it as like... Dun and the doing. <laughs> Both of you are very relatable. <laughs> what? That's such a um, good way. Next time I think someone's a bit dumb. That's a bit of a... Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh, I love how relatable you are. Citizens shouldn't need degrees in Googling <laughs> to work out what their elected representatives are talking about.